Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast, we had Mike Hopkins on the show again. Mike is the CEO of Bakken Midstream. He also sits on the board of many other companies. He's a longtime CEO. We had a great conversation today about so many things. What makes a great CEO? What makes a good board member? Oil prices, the coronavirus, uh, etc. Really great conversation. I enjoyed it, and I think you will too. Mike Hopkins on the RouterFlex podcast today. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on again, Steve. You're uh, hanging in there. I know we're. By the way, for the listeners, we're uh, recording this right in the middle of the uh, coronavirus. Um, so, uh, if you're listening to this a year from now, by the way, it's March 24th, 2020, right in the middle of this mess. So, uh, thought I'd throw that out there for the listeners right away <laughs> in case they're listening in uh, a year from now. But anyway, are you, uh, in Santa Barbara? Where are you at today? I am, uh, on my ranch, which is outside of Santa Barbara in Santa Inez and, uh, I'm perfectly fine, Steve, and uh, I live on a ranch, so a ranch kind of by definition, you're socially distanced, you're <laughs> physically distanced, and, and because in the, you know, in the best of times, a lot of things that you want are inconvenient, you tend to stockpile. So without being a prepper, that's just kind of the lifestyle. So right. personally, it, it's had nowhere near the impact that it's had on, I think, the vast majority of people, but I am well aware personally aware from friends, family, that, uh, yeah, for the general public, including people I know, this has been extraordinarily disruptive and extraordinarily frightening. I, I, I think I'm in the same boat as everyone else. I've never seen anything even remotely like this in my life. And I can go through various crises, disruptions in the market, nothing like this. Almost uh, science fiction like, right? Right, right. It it really is. Uh, I'm I'm uh, at the age of fifty two. Even both of my sons are in their mid to late twenties, and uh, you know they're calling me for for a little bit of advice. And of course, I'm giving them all the advice I can. But at the same time, I'm saying, by the way, this is new for me too. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I've I've seen the old uh, movies, you know, about uh, the stock market crash and the depression, and you know, I've I've watched that those movies, but I can't. I can't relate to uh, anything like this. Never seen anything like it before. What, what's your take on, you know, the virus itself, the virus situation? What do you, what's your, yeah, what's your thought on it? And, and what do you see happening from here? Um, you know, I, I have very little to say about it from a medical or scientific right. perspective because that's not my background. Yeah. I just know what people that I trust that are knowledgeable say, which is whether it happens or not, it's prudent, makes sense to me, Steve, to plan that it's not days, it's not weeks, it's months. And I think uh, at the very minimum, 
it's safe to plan from a business perspective mm -hmm. that the Im impacts of the coronavirus, whether it's still around as an immediate growing present threat, you know, three or four months from now, whether that's the case or not, I, I don't know. But even if it's not the case, even if, you know, hopefully, I think we, we all pray this is the case, if it is dissipating or gone within the next few months, I think it's just, it's hard to even imagine a situation in which there will not be continuing severe economic impacts and impacts on every single business, big or small. And realistically, my time horizon would be 12 months plus. That's going to be the case. We are not, I can't imagine a world in which ah, it's just like that never happened. Right, not right. Or some, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and so I'm, uh, I mean, right now, in, personally in the businesses I'm involved in, we're just very, we've been very focused on kind of taking in what's happened, mm -hmm. uh, processing what it means to our business, mm -hmm. uh, where there's direct impacts, understanding that. Um, and I'd say very much so thinking about, um, you know, since in, in many of these cases, am I on the front lines of fighting the coronavirus? I'm more focused on, well, what can we do positive in business? Are there opportunities to not just advance what we were doing, but actually accelerate or pursue in new ways what we were doing. And that's, that, that's been my focus, Steve. At the same time that I've um, observed and certainly read about some business that I think, unfortunately, maybe it's of necessity, but I'm not, I'm not convinced of that, that they've, they've processed what's happened and their reaction is complete retrenchment, right. going into a bunker. Right. And I, given, given what I said earlier about, I, I just see this going on not days or weeks or months, but longer term, I don't see how that works. You know, I agree. As a, as a strategy. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, stick, sticking your head in the sand and doing nothing. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's the answer either. I agree. And I think every small business owner across the globe uh, over the last couple of weeks has definitely, okay, let's, let's figure out an emergency cash flow plan. Let's cut some expenses. Mm -hmm. Let's do, let's do some, some necessary things, but you, you can't just stop being active on the other parts of your business. You know, perfect example of that, Scott and I here at Riderflex, my partner, Scott, I mean, we, you know, we, we went through our same thing, right? Looked at expenses. Okay, here's how much cash we have. This is this, this is that. But then we got up the very next day and we kept marketing. We kept selling. We kept doing all the other stuff too. <laughs> you, can, you know, you can't just, like you said, you can't just bury your head in the sand. I think that's the wrong answer for sure. Yeah, and, and I think in, in your industry, Steve, I, I, my assumption would be that you've seen um, a, a sudden halt to yep. Yep. many or all hiring plans, just because I've seen that myself, even in, in, yep. in very aggressive businesses, there's a pause, right? Where everyone's saying, let's just stop everything to assess <laughs> and plan for the future. But my, my projection would be that there's going to be some very significant hiring that gets implemented certainly by, well, by the companies I'm involved in, but I think much yeah. more broadly, um, I think about the whole clean tech space. Right. And uh, to, to me, at, at least where I live in California, 
I do not see, even, even if there is a severe general economic slowdown, even if we're going into a recession, which probably would be my bet, uh, here in California, if you're in the clean tech industry, I don't see California from a policy perspective, um, retrenching, backtracking. My, I bet a lot of money that it'll be the opposite. It'll be a doubling down. Okay. It'll be a part, part of the response to a slowdown to unemployment will be let's bet on renewables. Let's bet on energy storage. Let's bet on things that are very job intensive mm-hmm. when we need to get people back to work. And at the same time, do good for the environment. That's right. That's right. And, you know, for a lot of folks, too, you can pivot where you need to. I mean, you know, RiderFlex, for example, is a recruiting firm, but we also have candidate services. And guess what? There's going to be a lot of candidates that need resume writing, LinkedIn profile updates. Um, you know, we're also we also have consultants on staff for crisis management and turnaround. I mean, you just have to look at your business, I think, and make decisions that to to yes cut expenses but you might have to pivot in some some areas that you weren't planning on or you might have to focus on some areas that you weren't planning on i mean we i mean the, i i would say within days of the stuff happening we were changing verbiage on our web, website to to call out you know candidate services and consulting more than we were recruiting i mean that's just one example in my little tiny world that i think so many other companies can do with various things um so I think it's important to stay positive, wake up, keep charging forward, stay active. Don't just bury your head in the sand. I, I totally agree. Um, how'd you like to, uh, how, how'd you like to be the, the, the president of the United States right now trying to, trying to balance safety uh, versus the economy crashing? <laughs> yeah. um, I guess I, I'd, I'd say, Steve, I have never and never intend to want to be the president of the United States, coronavirus right. or not. Especially um, not right now. Said, <laughs> no, especially right now because, um, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, that good point to bring up, to bring perspective to this. I look at the world just in terms of my personal life with my wife here at home and in my business life. It's relatively simple, very simple compared to if you actually had responsibility for the whole country, and you had to deal with actually fighting coronavirus, which I don't, if you had to deal with actually dealing with the market disruptions, commodities disruptions, if you had to think about things like um, social unrest, uh, historic unemployment, yeah, it's it's a bit overwhelming, (laughs) so no, I... Uh, I, I guess if I was drafted, I would do what I could. Um, <laughs> I but this will be a this is this is going to be this will be an an amazing test, especially when I think of the fact that we've been for quite some time um, extremely partisan, yeah, and yeah. that's been a kind of a new thing to me to go back in time a little bit. I'm Canadian and become a dual citizen, but. One of the things, Steve, that really um, struck me when I actually moved to the United States and became an American and participated in political life was the um, the extremes of partisanship politically. Right. And that, you know, I'd say until at least very recently, I, I, I've just seen that kind of get worse and worse, like mm. unbelievably to me, because I thought, wow, like years ago, that was bad. and <laughs> It's just gotten worse. Yep. Maybe to try to look on the positive, maybe the 
uh, severity of what's happening and the degree to which this is like literally an existential threat to people's lives and to the economy, mm-hmm. maybe that actually brings people together and they kind of temporarily at least put some politics. Aside. Maybe so. I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe. I, <laughs> I would hate to have the job. I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's, at first, I think it was all about the safety and health. And I think the more days that go by, it becomes balancing health and keeping everything from just spinning out of control uh, from, from a market perspective and from an unemployment perspective. I think there's going to be this weird balance. At least that's my opinion on it. I'm not an expert, but I, I would just think that at some point you're like, damn, okay, I want to protect people, but I also don't want 50% unemployment and, you know, uh, people, people looting in the streets. (laughs) So you got to balance it. (laughs) Well, I, I I guess this, this comes back to why I think um, any business that can adapt and actually grow and create jobs in this environment is doing everything that they possibly can to contribute and make this better and mitigate you know, mitigate this kind of unfolding disaster because, you know, the re- the reality is it's a minuscule percentage of us that can actually fight the virus. Right. Um, but I think it's a relatively large number of us that can help with the economy, and and that's a that's a plenty big enough challenge given that uh, there's whole sectors of the economy, and this is obvious to everyone. There's whole sectors of the economy that are simply stopped you know if you're in the airline industry if you're there's whole sectors and there isn't going to be any i mean there may be financial bailouts but it's not like those industries can be turned around right now because nobody's going to fly full stop not at the time being but all kinds of other sectors that these can be advanced even in this environment and i think that's I guess that's where I try to keep my head. It keeps yep. you and, and stay healthy. positive. Yep. <laughs> positive. Yep. yep. I think another, yeah, I agree. Another positive spin on that is if you are a small business owner, let's use the, let's use the, let's use the bar owner or the restaurant owner, for example. Right. I mean, I really just my my, my em, emotionally, I feel for these guys because you and I both know most restaurant and bar owners, these guys are not just flush with, you know, 12 months worth of cash just sitting on the side somewhere. These guys are living, you know, week to week. The, the margins aren't super great. It's a tough business to begin with. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you just told that you can't open the doors. I, you know, I can't even imagine what some of those small business owners are going through right now. But I would, to your point, on a positive note, you know, if they can figure out a way to get through it, um, they're going to learn a ton. They're going to come out of it stronger. They're probably going to come out of it in a less competitive environment because some of their buddies down the street aren't going to make it. <laughs> uh, and so if they could just hang in there, man, I feel for them. I really do. Uh, one more positive slant on the whole thing. I heard somebody say this the other day, a friend of mine, I grew up in Oklahoma, so I got a lot of Oklahoma and Texas friends. And, uh, and I worked, lived in Texas for a long time. Needless to say, I know a lot of people with guns. <laughs> Anyway, I heard this guy, this guy called me the other day and he goes, he goes, Hey, he goes, did you hear they're going to shut down the liquor stores? And I said, well, I kind of saw something a little bit in the news. Maybe, I don't know. Is that true? And, and he goes, he goes, can you imagine 
you're going to tell Jim Bob down in Tyler, Texas, that he can't go to work. And then he gets laid off. Then he's got no money in his bank account. And then you're also going to tell him that he can't go down and get a six pack of beer. <laughs> he said, can you imagine what that's going to do to people? And I said, yeah, I, no, that won't be good. <laughs> no. Well, it's, it's, it's been interesting to me, Steve. You talked about, you talked about little restaurateurs and uh, liquor stores. It's been interesting to me how, in such a short period of time, the very little pleasures in life right. have become yes. so important. Yes. And there's a, there's a restaurant in my little community. So many restaurants and pretty much all the stores in my local community, they just close. They have closed. But there are, there are small restaurants, larger restaurants that, well, one of them that I'll highlight, one of them, I think, like within... I don't know, 24 hours or 48 hours of the uh, uh, order in California to close down, unless you are um, a, a takeout or pickup place. Yeah. They, and, and they are, they were not that. And they completely converted themselves into a, uh, uh, they, they came up with a pickup. They made barbecue. They advertised See, it. There you go. They Chris. would come outside and we went and did it. There was a lineup of cars, everybody properly distanced. This is a restaurant where it, everyone trusts them to be careful. Yep. They did gloves. The chef personally came out and handed the food. It was a full barbecue dinner. And Great story. I don't know that it was the Great story. I don't know that it was the best barbecue I've ever had. But that night, it sure tasted like the right. <laughs> it is true how we, we, I think we forget that it was really, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Mike, when people lived a truly hard life. I mean, we, we have forgotten quickly. I mean, just think about 150 years ago, which was not that long ago, when you think about the life of the planet people lived a completely different life and we are so spoiled right now oh my god i mean we really we got it good bro i hope i hope it i hope it uh you know i i need the i need those comforts <laughs> i personally need those comforts <laughs> um tell me about you know i know yeah. you're, i know you're in the oil business right uh at bakken midstream um why don't you tell us give us an, a quick overview by the way uh, of Bakken Midstream, and then roll that into what is going on with the oil prices, and what are your thoughts there? Because they they started dropping even before all this madness. I think I think I, correct me if I'm wrong. You know a lot more about that than me, but but anyway, give us an overview, and then talk to us about the oil prices if you don't mind. Yeah, well, there was a an oil war that was started by Saudi Arabia when there was a coronavirus, but it was nothing, Steve, like it's unfolded into. So okay. it okay. was not looking anywhere near as severe as it's turned out to be. Okay. And this was prior to the stock markets really, you know, taking a, a dive. Mm -hmm. So um, at Bakken Midstream, we are not directly in the oil business. We are in North Dakota, or at least we are doing projects in North Dakota, which deal with the natural gas that yeah. is associated with their oil. And in North That's Dakota, right. um, all of their oil has associated natural gas, uh, and not just gas in their oil stream, but a, a high quantity of natural gas. And in the natural gas, it's a high quantity of natural gas liquids. Mm -hmm. 
And the issue in North Dakota with their associated gas and the high quantity of liquids in their gas is that um, historically, and this is largely still the case, um, they have not been focused on any of that. They have been focused on the production of oil, which is a relatively new thing in the state. Okay. It's uh, growing very quickly. That's made them the number two oil producer in the state. However, uh, the natural gas has been a problem. The natural gas requires, and sort of the liquids, require infrastructure that oil does not require. And it's infrastructure that you can't put in place quickly. So it's large capital intensive infrastructure that requires years of planning, which frankly did. So the consequence was, um, and this is, I think, something that's well known now, even outside of North Dakota, is there is an extraordinary amount of flaring of natural gas and the liquids in the gas, simply because there's nowhere for it to go. And if you want the oil, the gas comes out. And if you have no place for it, no utilization of it, you flare it. And flaring, flaring, obviously. Flaring for the listeners. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe for the folks that don't know. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> so flaring, flaring is literally, you know, lighting that natural gas and the liquids in the natural gas on fire at, at the wellhead. Um, if you've been in a place where there is flaring, if you're at that location, it looks like a, either a, a small or it can be an extremely large uh, flame that's, that's, that's there. Right. Uh, and it's constant. It's going 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about um, quite extraordinary volumes. Uh, it's in the order of, well, I'd say well over a billion dollars uh, in, in natural gas that's being flared. And wow. Uh, wow. Wow. yeah, that's in the, in the value of it. And um, that's, that's the, val- the value of it. The pollution obviously is bad. Mm-hmm. And also there's just physic- there's physical limits to how much you can flare. And okay. ultimately, um, not utilizing gas productively, not utilizing liquids productively. If, if you're getting them anyways, not utilizing them uh, threatens the oil production. At a certain point, you just have to crank that back. That's the only way to deal with it. So our company, while we're certainly not an oil company and we're not directly involved in oil in any respect. What we're doing and we're actively doing it, Steve, is to, as quickly as possible, develop the infrastructure, develop the projects that actually would capture that gas that otherwise would be flared, okay. that put it to productive use, whether we're talking about, or we can be talking about anything. Um, natural gas is used for, and liquids are used for everything, including everything we use in daily life. It can be heating, it can be plastics, it can be fertilizers, it can be power. Uh, The the one thing you don't want it to be is nothing. You you don't want to just (laughs) do nothing with it when it's a tremendous resource. And to bring us back to the present, I'd say that, um, as I said, although we're not in the oil business, the fact that oil prices have collapsed as severely as they have, I think an impact of that will be that um, the oil producers that we work with um, are going to be more focused on getting value where before the value of the oil was so significant and so overwhelming relative to the natural gas. When you, you know, say, well, the oil's worth half maybe or less than half of what it was, 
then yes, the natural gas becomes much more significant. And wow. if you if you think, Steve, in terms of um, one immediate consequence, no matter what business you're in, is I think everybody is way more focused on all their costs, yep. all their revenues. Yep. Doesn't have yep. the luxury to say, yeah, yep. that's not that important. Right. I think, right. so I, we're seeing that in my business that um, we have the attention more than we used to wow, that's of a, producers that's that are great. saying, I, I need to, yeah, I need yep. to pay attention to everything. And so that's a, there, there you go. There's a positive impact of this right. disruption is that you would like, and this is the philosophy of Bakken Midstream, you would like the value, regardless of your views on fossil fuels, clean tech, renewables, to the extent that we are using fossil fuels, which we obviously are all over the place, and we continue to use the products of fossil fuels in our everyday life, mm -hmm. as long as we're doing that, you at least good stewards of those resources, make the most, um, mitigate the environmental damage done by them, maximize the value. It's, a, it's two things. You want to both mitigate the environmental impact, because there is an environmental impact, and maximize the value. And I'd say that's something that just hasn't been done the way it could have been done. Mm. And now there seems to be the impetus. And I'm, you know, in that narrow way, I'm happy about that. The impetus to do those kind of things, mitigate the environmental impact, maximize the value. That's good for everybody. Yeah, that is. Yep. What, do me a favor for, for a, just a regular guy like me, layman's terms, what causes the oil prices to jump up and down like they do? Maybe you can answer that question from, you know, just talking to a commoner. <laughs> you know, all, all we know, all we know is, is like, oh, wow. Okay. I guess the price of oil per barrel is $28 this week. I don't know what that means or how they got there or how they decided that, but okay. <laughs> Educate us on what, what's causing that. What caused this recent dip, if you don't mind. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you what I know. I'm certainly not an oil pricing expert, although I've been in the energy, including oil and gas industry, much of my career. Um, I'd start with saying, well, uh, it's fundamentally like any other commodity. It's a function of supply and demand. Supply and demand drives right. price. Um, it has been skewed in the case of oil by having had a cartel, uh, OPEC, for um, a long time now, um, pretty much almost all my career in the industry, there's been a cartel that has um, artificially adjusted supply, constrained supply, in order to get the pricing they want. Sometimes that's been to move the price up. Sometimes that's actually been to move the price down. And in the case, you know, most recently, um, Saudi Arabia, uh, at, it's a member of OPEC, obviously, yeah. but independently, independently from OPEC, it decided to just recently effectively declare a, an oil price war by saying, we're going to produce as much as we can. We're going to discount aggressively and we're going to drive down the price of oil. And um, that would be, I'd say, an, an obvious example of um, I'd say an, an artificial uh, influence on the market. You're not just behaving in a normal way. You're not uh, producing what's optimal from a technical perspective. 
they've just chosen to use their tremendous oil resources uh, to just drive down the price and take advantage of the fact that their cost of oil production continues to be pretty much the lowest in the world. And there's people, and this is where, you know, I don't know what to believe. There's people in the world that believe that was targeted principally at our U.S. oil producers, I see. Uh, principally shale producers, who have rel relatively high cost. Okay. And so when oil was you know, north of $50, uh, U.S. shale producers were doing very well. It was well above their cost of production. When oil is 20 or less, for most shale producers, you're losing money by producing. And if that continues, you could see shale producers, well, you've already seen their stock prices yep. just get completely hammered, more so than the stock market generally. It's even worse than the general stock market crash. Um, there's people that think this is more directed at Russia, uh, who's so, you know, unlike the United States, where we're not that dependent at all on the, um, the oil prices and oil production. It's nice that we have it, but it's not like it's our lifeblood. Mm. For Russia, that's kind of how they operate. They operate on oil revenues. So does Saudi Arabia, by the way. So, you know, in this case, I don't know who's trying to, you know, who is the, the, the real target of what Saudi Arabia did, but that is definitely what they did. They made a decision to wow. uh, drive down oil as low as possible and take market share and put financial pressure on other countries. U.S. would be one, Russia would be another, but really all, all producers are affected by this. Um, and then I guess the last comment I'd make, which does go to price, is that um, not long ago, people talked about peak oil. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard that term, no, but it no, used uh, to be like in the, it was, so it was, it was in the news and people would write about the fact that um, we are, I'm going to say this is like 10 years ago when people were saying, uh, analysts were saying and prognosticators were saying that we have reached a point in our history where we've pretty much found all the oil there is. And we are going to be in serious trouble unless we reduce our demand for oil, uh, we could be in a case of uh, economic collapse or oil prices are gonna be $500 a barrel because there's simply no more oil. And what oil there is left, even, even see what's left, is gonna be so expensive to extract, like let's say it's in the Arctic, that you're not gonna be able to buy that at 20 or 50 or 100 barrels, it'll be multiples of that. And I'd say the, the interesting thing that's happened, and it goes to price, is um, technology. Especially here in the United States, technology has found oil that had not previously been discovered right. in very large quantities, not just in the United States, but around the world, but especially here in the United States. And in addition to finding oil that hadn't been previously discovered, maybe more significantly, they have come up with technologies that allow them to extract more of what they've already found or discovered around the world. And so I don't think anyone these days talks about peak oil because yeah. it's been completely disproven <laughs> that years ago we, we, we hit the limit we continue to find oil. We continue to get better at extracting what we need to the point where I'd say, you know, 
before we run out of oil, we will have completely transitioned from oil to renewables, yeah. to other forms of energy. Yeah. And oil will be, you may still need oil and natural gas, and you probably will for things like plastics and other things that we use. But as an example, you won't need it for your car. Yeah. You won't, there'll be many, many things where that, that utilization will be considered very old fashioned, very unnecessary, very inefficient, and we'll have better ways to do it. So I'm gonna, again, hit an optimistic note that whereas we used to worry about running out of oil, I don't spend any time worrying about running out of oil because we'll never, I don't think in the relevant time we'll run out of oil. It'll be abundant until we don't need it anymore. Yep, I see the same thing. I totally agree. Yep, I, I, I completely agree. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with me on that. I, you know, I've always been fascinated and it's interesting. My dad, my dad was in the oil business in Oklahoma his whole life, but not, not really at the, at the super high executive level. Um, and so I grew up with it uh, in the late 70s when there were oil rigs all over the place. I mean, you'd drive down the uh, country road in Oklahoma and you would, they were like Christmas trees they were everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, appreciate yeah, you sharing your, cool. appreciate you sharing your thoughts with me. A couple of more things. I, I know I've I've already kept you on the phone a bunch, but and I appreciate your insight on some of this stuff. Um, you've been a CEO for a long time now. I always enjoy getting your thoughts on and your wisdom on what you've learned so far. What advice for the listeners would you give on? You know, being a great CEO, what, what do you think makes a great CEO? And then maybe you could spin that into um, even some tips on first time younger CEOs, if you don't mind talking just a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I'd probably start, Steve, by saying that at least from my personal experience as a CEO, uh, being successful as a CEO really starts with uh, being able to attract, develop, and lead a team. Uh, I think that, and I have seen this, people that try to do everything, people that try to, they don't try to do everything, if they try to micromanage what others do, I've literally never seen that work. I, I'm right. sure there is a b business in which you can stand over someone's shoulder and, you know, figuratively beat them with a stick, but I, yeah. I, I'm not in that world and I've never seen that. In my world, which is more startups and tech, um, where, I, where I've been successful, where I've seen others being successful, it starts with that attracting a team. And I think attracting a team, there's a, there's a few elements to that. One element of it is, I don't think you can attract a team of any kind, or at least you can't attract the right team, unless you have the ability to um, distill down what it is you want to do mm. in simple terms, and to be able to communicate that, Steve, in a passionate and compelling way. To me, that's what will allow you to start attracting a team and building a team. It's your personal ability to understand, understand the business that you want to pursue, distill it down to simple terms, to be able to communicate yeah. it in simple terms, and to demonstrate in how you communicate your passion for it. That 
I see that as attracting mm -hmm. the right team members in the same way, by the way, your first investor, your next investor, right. Right. to me, that's, that's a litmus test that every investor I know has is can the CEO, can the CEO distill down what they're doing into the simplest of terms, make that compelling that it's going to work and demonstrate in how they communicate their passion for it. Mm, and the more good. you can, you know, the more you can bring people like that to the table around you, the more compelling that is to investors. It's one thing to say, I, Mike Hopkins, I figured out this business. I can distill it down into a sentence. I can communicate it with passion, but I can't attract anyone else. Well, no one wants to invest in that because there's very you know, <laughs> severe physical limits to what I can do. But really good, I have man. had success and I good. certainly am proud of the fact that I've had success in developing teams. And then from there, once you've you know, got your team around you, mm. once you've got the message down and everybody is sort of singing from the same songbook, then I think, and this is, I, in my opinion, extraordinarily important to being successful and to being able to scale you've got to have team members that are wired to be uh, independent, accountable, like they want authority, they want responsibility. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, great team members, but to me, if you want to be in tech, if you want to scale quickly, you just need that. You, you need people that they, they get the vision, they totally understand it, they're responsible for this area, and they go and they build their own team and they integrate it with the other teams, but they are running that thing like they're a CEO themselves in their area. And that's yep. when I've put together companies, when I've hired people, it's what I always have in mind. Whether you're talking about your C team, the C level people, or you're talking about your middle management, to me, it goes throughout the whole organization. You want a team of people that they want authority. They want, you know, I, I, I'd love to have the bookkeeper give us great ideas organizationally about how to run the right. company from yes. their perspective and feel like they're that integrated. But obviously, they're not under my management. I don't, I wouldn't want that. I, yeah. If you have the right people, you can trust them to, you know, run with it. You mentioned on their last podcast, you said, I, I can't remember the exact words, but you said something to the effect of, I like to recruit little mini CEOs, people that think like a CEO, and then let them run divisions and departments. I think you said that almost exact thing. Yeah, that's really good stuff, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Really good. Can I ask sure. you, can I ask you, um, I know we're almost out of time. What if we, if we, if we go, if we go just a few minutes over this uh, uh, 1230 Pacific? How, how, how much time do I have? Can I hit you with another one? Yeah. Okay. We're good. Yep. Um, you've been a board member too, lots of different boards, been a board member for a long time, currently on some boards. So you have a lot of experience there. Um, I recently uh, did a podcast interview uh, with a great lady who trains people to be on boards. I thought that was a fascinating interview. I'm just curious what kind of advice would you give to people uh, that, that are joining their first board as a board member? 
what kind of advice would you give them and on how to be a good board member? Um, talk about that a little bit, because I'm guessing you've seen good ones and bad ones. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I have. I, uh, I've seen good ones and bad ones my whole career, uh, it, including going back, Steve, to when I was an attorney in a very large law firm. And I had the benefit of observing many boards from Fortune 100s through startups and, and all the different kinds of people. And now I see it more hands-on where I'm on boards and I'm working with board members. So, yeah. So um, I guess I start with, uh, as a board member of, on any kind of company or not-for-profit for that matter, the most basic is it has, there's a legal responsibility that you have as a board member, which you have to fulfill full stop. That's the starting point uh, of any board member. And if you're not cognizant of that, and by that I mean like all the time, you, all the time when you're a board member in every board meeting, mm -hmm. in preparation for a board meeting, um, that's the basic, that's the minimum. Minimum. But sometimes, and I obviously that is not adhered to. Sometimes board members fail mm -hmm. to meet their legal fiduciary responsibility. They don't prepare. They they observe or hear things happen that are not right, and they don't speak out, and they don't do their job as a board member. Mm. Um, that's that. yep. that's 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 the 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 minimum. But I just bring it up because I have seen people not do the minimum. Um, next thing I'd say is, unfortunately, I think a lot of board members, Steve, that's all they do. They to their credit, they do that, but that's all they do. They view um, they view being a board member as sort of a simply a legal responsibility and not much more. And if they do more, a lot of them will do. Well, I'll say bluntly, they'll pontificate. They they will, <laughs> you know, give the the company the benefit of their tremendous wisdom, um, but uh, they. They they will in in these kinds of people which are not this is not a small minority I'd say there's a lot of board members that are like that I I thankfully I'm not involved on boards that have such people at this time but I've had that in the past where that's the mode they're in you know management I, is I trying to run a company yep. management is trying to do great things and sometimes management is trying to deal with a crisis and when you have a board that has people on it that are not really coming down to your level of dealing with your reality, but want to tell you about how it was when they were running this company or how it was when they were doing this right. and saying, you know, well, you know, you should watch out for the bottom line. And um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 um, I think that's a, it's a, it's a shame and it's obviously very frustrating if you're a CEO, if you're the management team, and you've got what should be a great resource, and instead it's more of a burden. And I put those kind of boards into that category. Those boards great to point. me are more of a burden on management than they are a benefit Bingo. to management. Bingo. Couldn't agree more. So, could, not I, agree, could not agree if more. I, but. If I turn to what you should do, or which what I advocate and what I try to do myself, is of course you do what you're supposed to do legally, but beyond that, I think, and especially in my world of startups, I believe 
every member of the board should be on the board for a very specific purpose beyond that minimum requirement. That's a good reminder. Um, and they should, they should be there. And this is, you know, I think management should think about this. Investors should think about this when they're searching for board members. I think most do, but not all. Not think all. about what specifically are you trying to have on your board? You know, don't have, if you have a five member board, don't have five finance people. Even if you're in the finance industry, point. don't have five finance people. Great point. Um, think about what you need. It may have to do with what your business is. It may have to do with your management team. You know, you may at that moment either have some holes in management or you may be thinking, look, you know, we'd like to have a CFO, but we don't have the, we're not at that stage yet where we should have a full-time CFO. So mm -hmm. maybe you have a CFO qualified person on your board. So you get them as a benefit as a board member. Um, yep. When I think of it that way, thinking about a board as, it's what I'm saying, Steve, is I'd, in the startup world, I think of boards as like extensions of management. Yes, there are, t there are important times, this goes back to the legal responsibility, when as a board member, you are performing a governance role. Right. Most of the time, I would hope, and this is what I try to do, most of the time, you are an extension of management. You are helping management. And you do things that might otherwise have been done by management. You are out there promoting the company. You are connecting them with partners. You may literally be pitching deals on behalf of the company. Mm -hmm. um, you are a sounding board for the CEO. I certainly like to do that in my own uh, companies where I'm on the board. I have encouraged and I enjoy being a sounding board, whether you want to call that a coach or whatever you want to call it, I I enjoy having um, interaction with CEOs of companies that I'm on the board of that are not structured. They're not part of a board meeting. They are one-on-ones where yep. whether it's a subject that comes up in between board meetings or it's just a subject you wouldn't bring up at a board because it's not a board topic, but it's important to the company or it's at least important to the CEO. And that's frankly fun. It's fun, Steve, to be able to give a, I'll say a young CEO, the benefit of uh, an older, more experienced CEO's advice. And, and it is definitely a two-way street. I, in, in, in what I'm involved in, even though I am asked for advice many times, I learn a lot even when I'm giving advice from the back and forth and the, yep, yep. because uh, I don't know that anybody and, and definitely I am not an all knowing right. <laughs> guru. guru. Yeah. So it's very much a, a give it, give and take. And I think uh, for me, that's usually what happens is people come to it for advice. You give advice, but I guess it goes back to my, like, don't pontificate. Yeah. Have a conversation, talk it through, make sure you're understanding what is the problem this person's experiencing and what is their perspective. Because a lot of times um, you'll, you'll get to the best result if you have that more conversation as opposed to, hey, let me give you advice. I'll tell you how to do it. <laughs> you know, by the way, awesome stuff right there. I just want to highlight a couple of things you just said. Um, you know, I ran as a CEO myself, I ran a couple of smaller companies, a couple of $40 million companies. And I can tell you that the best board member I ever had was the one you just described right there at the end. He was the one that I could call and just say, Hey, I just, can I just talk to you about this for a minute? Like just one-on-one. -on -one. 
I could call him and say, what do, you, what do you think about this? He was also a board member that when I got the quote board book ready for the board members and I would send it to him, you know, a, a few days ahead of time before the board meeting, I knew he, he was actually going to read it. <laughs> he was going to study it line by line. And I got to where I would, I would set up a, a pre-call with him and I would just, I would go to him and say, okay, can you just go ahead and tell me now, like some of the smaller stuff that I know you're going to hit me with before we get to the board meeting? Cause I know you've read it. I mean, he was the best one that I could have those one-on-one -on -one conversations with. Now, now, by the way, he was also the toughest board member. He was also the one that was definitely going to say, why the hell did you do that? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah, it, I, but he's, I, the one, he's the one I valued. Great. He's the one I valued. I mean, some of the rest of them, you know, like you said earlier, I swear, Mike, I mean, I, I, I would, you know how you personally know, and so do I, how much stress a CEO goes through preparing for a quarterly board meeting and the amount of work that goes into preparing the material. I have walked out of those meetings that sometimes going, what the, I mean, I just killed myself for a week or two weeks to get ready for this meeting. And uh, you know, three of these guys didn't even say anything like, what are, what are they doing here? <laughs> well, I, 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 I totally get it and relate to it, Steve. I think sometimes being a CEO is a, well, usually it's a very privileged job, but sometimes it's a bit of a lonely job. Oh, you got that, you got when, that right. <laughs> when, so when, when things are going well, you know, everybody's your friend, everybody's easy to talk to, and it is easy to talk to when everyone's going well, whether you're talking to your board on up or you're talking to your own team. Mm -hmm. When things are not going well, and I mean, just thinking, thinking objectively about my whole career in startups, if you were like to add up every hour of every day that you were working on a startup, there's more in the category of things not going well right. than there is in the category of going well. And when it's not going well, I think that's when, you know, it's even with a great team, I think it's natural for a CEO to be reluctant to 100% confide in team members. Yes. yes. And I'm, I'm talking about if things yes. are, are going bad, like extremely threatening, right. you, you know, you want to protect people to some degree. Um, so there's a reluctance that I think is natural yes. to be completely sharing in very right. challenging times I totally with your own agree. team. And that's when you would like to have, you know, have a board that helps. And boy, that's when it, I think, really hits home. When you've got the board that's the board of the pontificators, you're, you are on your own. You know, I know, you, right? You're not getting any help from them. But when you've got the board or the board member that you just described, that no matter what, good or bad times, you feel comfortable to just pick up the phone. It's not so much board member to board member. It's two people talking right. and get help. If, whether it's just a sounding board or you really need advice, then it's during those challenging times that that's just, it's, that is so, so valuable. So, so if, you, if, you, if you did the work, if you had the good fortune to have board members like that, that's when you really benefit from it, I, which by I, the way, is, that's when you really need it, right? That's when you really I, need it. When everything's going great, a, a board is kind of, yeah, like, <laughs> nice to have, but. You know, that brings us, that brings us full circle. Great way to end the conversation is it brings us all the way back to the beginning of, and right now, right now, if you're a CEO of a small to medium, well, if you're a CEO of any business, this week as we're re recording this podcast, it is a very stressful time. 
And right now is, if you're listening to this episode, right now is when you realize, yeah, you need those, even if it's not a, a real uh, board of directors, maybe it's an advisory board, or maybe it's just advisors or mentors, whatever they're called. You, right now is when you, you want to be able to call and say, hey, listen, you know, I got to make some drastic, super hard decisions in the next, you know, five days. I just want to talk to somebody about it. Because uh, to your point, being a CEO is it can be a lonely thing on a regular good day. It can sure as hell be a lonely thing when when you're going through what we're going through right now. <laughs> so you, I yeah, I encourage, no, no I encourage all, uh, all listeners need to surround themselves with people they can call, good mentors, good advisors, good board members. It's so critical for your for your health, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally as a CEO. So surround yourself with those people. Mike, um, I know I know you're super busy. I've already kept you way over our time, and I I appreciate it, man. I I love having you on the show. Thank you so much for for all the advice and wisdom. I appreciate it, sir. Um, love that shirt, by the way. Always a pleasure, Steve. I love that shirt. You're looking good. <laughs> you, you know, you all you you always look great. I mean, damn, how do you stay in such good shape? What are you running five miles every morning? I mean, holy cow! You what do you 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 just look great. I start each morning reading or listening to a bit of Eckhart Tolle, Power of Now, being present in the moment so that I've got perspective on everything. Comes in especially valuable when the world's <laughs> falling apart right. to have a little perspective on it. Uh, physical fitness, very important to me too, Steve. Yeah. I think that, I hope, I think for anybody, but for me, I've just made it a practice that no matter what, I mean, literally no matter what, I'm going to exercise every day, have done that for a lot of my life. I think it started with, I was an extre I was extremely underweight, a weakling when I was in uh, high school and college. And I decided I'm going to change that. And it served me well. I just feel, I just right. feel so much better um, mentally and physically and uh, family. Love my wife, like having personal time, no matter what's happening at work, make time for that. If, oh, if you have all those things in place for me, it allows me to be extremely focused, very intense, very productive in work because those other things are looked after. Yeah. Mike, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Great catching up with you, sir. Thank you. Likewise. We'll talk soon, okay? Sounds great. Take, Take care, care, my friend. Bye-bye. The Rudderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.